I have met some of you for the first time this morning. I do want to say, I, I know that I'm new here, uh, but I want to tell you how thankful I am to be here. This great church is a, it's an honor to be here and to be able to serve alongside you all. And I think I speak for Andy, too. We're, we're both pretty pretty tickled, aren't we? He's, yeah, he's holding back. So he's just, he's holding back. But you ought to see him when he really gets going, so. I do want to also welcome those who are worshiping online with us today, and just to say good morning to you. If you're worshiping online today, I hope that you are blessed by that. Um, the scripture today comes from Mark chapter 6. I want to invite you to turn over there with me in your Bible. If you have brought your Bible today, you want to grab one of the pew Bibles, or the word will be up on the screen. If you have a Bible app on your phone, however you like to do that, we'll look at verses 30 through 34. And then we'll also look at verses 53 through 56 today. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourself and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw great crowds, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Then going down to verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that region and began to bring the sick on mats and wherever they heard he was and wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak and all and all who touched it were healed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would like for you to help me with an experiment this morning. You should have somewhere in your bulletin or the little newsletter a picture. If you'll take that picture out and take a look at it right now. If you didn't get one, scoot over next to someone who did. Should look something like that. Picture. Has everybody got one? Okay. All right. I want you to look at it for just a few minutes. Just, just a couple minutes. And tell me, how many of you see a horse? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you see a frog? Raise your hand. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now, however you were looking at it before where you saw one thing, flip it the other way and look and see if you don't see the other thing. Okay. I'm doing this just because, well, it's just kind of fun, but I'm doing this, I'm doing this because it matters what your perspective is, right? It matters how you look at things. That's very, very important. You might look at it one way and see one thing and look at it another way and see it a little bit different. Your perspective is so important that all the way back to the 5th century AD in the Babylonian Talmud, there was a wise saying that still applies today it says we don't see things as we as they are we see things as we are let me say that again because i kind of stumbled on it 
we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. So our goals as followers of Jesus is to see through Jesus' eyes because Jesus was the only one who saw with perfect clarity what the will of God was. He was the only one who saw perfectly. And so what did he see? That's what we're going to be asking. And how can we see like he did? That's what we're going to be seeking. And to that end, we're going to do a couple of times a prayer for our eyes, for the way we see. And here's how I'd like for you to do that. Will you put your hands over your eyes just like this? Okay, almost like you're playing peekaboo, right? But we're praying. And hear this prayer. Touch our eyes, Lord, and help us to see what you see. In Jesus' name, amen. So what did Jesus see in the gospel in Mark chapter 6, in this gospel lesson for today? I've got some ideas. And by the way, on the other side of your frog slash horse picture is an outline with some fill-ins. If you're the type of person that likes to take notes and do the outlines and do the fill-ins, then you're really going to like that. If that's the kind of thing that drives you crazy, just please, just fold it and stick it in your pocket. Don't let it drive you crazy. There, there won't be a test on the end of it, okay? It's to help you if you like to do that. The first thing that Jesus saw, I believe, is he saw a need to come apart to a deserted place for rest. Time to just stop and to come apart. I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but the gospel of Mark is a hurry-up gospel. If you just flip through the gospel of Mark, you're going to find 39 different times in there the words immediately or at once. It's like it's like they just can't wait to get to the next place. It's just like hurry, 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 hurry. And that's why I think that from the very beginning, from Mark chapter 1, Jesus knew when it was time to go to a deserted place. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was at Simon and Andrew's house, and people were bringing all of their relatives to be delivered and healed, and they were up most of the night, up most of the night. And then in Mark 1.35, it says that Jesus, in the morning while it was still very dark, got up and went out to a deserted place where he prayed. He needed to slip away. His disciples came and found him. They went and they looked and they found him where he had gone off to be by himself and prayed to the Father. And they said these words, Lord, everybody's looking for you. Now, I want to ask, do you ever have a day like that? where everybody's looking for you, kids tugging at your sleeve, everybody's calling, texting, everybody's looking for you. It feels that way anyway. Everybody's looking for you because we're busy, aren't we? Some of you retired and thought you weren't going to be so busy, and then you found out. You might have to go back to work, so you'll have a vacation. We're busy. Do you think sometimes we're too busy? I think sometimes we need to come apart. Like Vance Havner was one of the greatest evangelists in the 20th century, and he had a saying that I like. He says, if you don't come apart and rest, then you'll just come apart. If you don't come apart and rest, you'll just come apart. And I know the excuses. I, I have them, and I've used them before. I've got so much to do, and it's all so important. And then I stop and think, is what I've got to do more important than what Jesus had to do when he was walking the earth? Because here's what I know about Jesus. 
in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often did that. So when I say come apart to a deserted place, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about unplugging from the constant stimulation that we give ourselves. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hang on a second. If uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll use a few objects that show constant stimulation. People constantly can read this. When, when we're just walking around, we have earbuds in. You know what I'm talking about? We're just, just there in the car. We have something cranked on to the radio. Or when we're just walking around the house, we'll have TV on in every room. Constant stimulation, constant, constant. To unplug from that to a quiet, deserted place. I'm talking about, when I say come apart, I'm talking about taking the time to process the grief that we have. To process it. I, I'm not just talking about grief over losing a loved one or losing a pet or losing a job or losing your health or seeing your kids grow up and leave home or see your grandkids move to a different town far away from you all of these things that we grieve over we need time to process them we need time we need time to reflect about the changing realities of our lives. Sometimes you turn the news on or open a newspaper and you think, what in the world is going to happen next? You need time to process that. I'm talking about the keeping of your soul, soul keeping. There's a great book by John Ortberg. I highly recommend it to you. It's called Soul Keeping, Soul Keeping. In the prologue of that book, he tells a wonderful story about a town that's high up in the Alps, and the town is situated, straddled over a beautiful crystal clear stream. And in this stream is the most beautiful clear water. The children go and play by the spring, the stream, and the swans swim on the stream. And you can look, and it's so clear that you can see the trout swimming along the bottom of this beautiful stream high in the Alps. The stream itself gets its water from deep, old, cold springs that are high up in the mountain. And high up in the mountain, there's an old man beyond anybody's sight who lives in a little cabin up there, and he is the keeper of the springs. Nobody can ever remember how long he's been doing it, but for as long as anybody can remember, he gets up every day and goes from one spring to the other up in the mountains and removes the branches and the twigs and the leaves and the debris that would pollute the water. Very important work, but nobody ever sees him, right? He's out of sight. And because of that, people take him for granted. And one day, the town council met, and they had to cut the budget. And they looked at their budget, and they thought, where can we cut the budget? What is this line item here? Who is the keeper of the springs? Anyway, nobody supervises that old man. We don't even know what he's doing up there. This is a no-brainer. We'll just cut that line item out and cut, cut. They did. And they let go of the old man, and he moved away. He moved away. 
and high in the mountains. The springs went untended, and sticks and limbs and twigs and uh, branches, and frankly, a lot worse than that, started going into the water, and all of it began to turn the stream that ran through the town stagnant and yucky. At first, people didn't notice all that much, but then, after a while, they said the water just doesn't, it looks brackish, and look, the fish started dying, and the swamps wouldn't swim on it. The children wouldn't play by it because it smelled bad, and some people got sick from trying to drink it, and they realized the entire village, the health of the entire village was at stake here. So the town council had an emergency meeting. And they found money. And again, they found the old man and they rehired him. And then after a season, the stream was clear and pure again. And once again, the village came back to life. Because you see, the life of the village depended on the health of the stream. Here's the moral of the story, y'all. The stream is your soul. is your soul and you are the keeper if we don't find time to come apart for soul keeping then we will come apart I'm not just telling you this from theory I'm telling you this because I've seen it happen in my own life y'all know we just moved to town um, recently and I mean just see how many have any of y'all moved recently had to move no, my family's sitting over here. That doesn't count. No. No. You, in your memory, though, if you haven't moved recently, you remember what an ordeal it is. It's a physical ordeal. It's a mental ordeal. Uh, there is stress. There's adjustments you have to make on the outside and on the inside. You're moving away from a place that you have known and people who know you and you know them, everything that's familiar. All these changes, you have a new town. When in our case, we have a, a whole new town, a whole new community, a whole new church, a new house, new home. And through all of this, through all of these changes, I was just, I, I wanted to be on it. I wanted to be paying attention to everything and just, just handle everything, okay? Just handle everything as, as it comes and just face all of those things that nobody could really predict, you know, at, at home, like power outages. Okay, bring it on. We'll light some candles and, you know, um, gas leak. All right, right, we'll figure something out here. Air conditioning going up, out upstairs. Okay, what's next? You know, I, it, that's kind of the way I felt. I felt I was just, it was like Braveheart. I wanted to paint half my face blue and just like, ah. Um, we got all of that worked out, by the way. It was, it was great. But then we had those things you couldn't predict and then the things that you could predict. I knew there was going to be a mountain of boxes everywhere that had to go through and just, oh, where are my socks? You know, I knew there was going to be that. But you have to deal with it. So, And then there's church. This is such a great and awesome church. So many things going on. I tried to pay attention to everything. I wanted to know everything that was going on. Everything was new. Everything was different. Lots of new people to meet. And then there's my family. 
it's been a you know whirlwind for them too a huge transition to let go of friends to let go of jobs to to go to a new school when was the last time you had to do that go to a new school so I was trying to pay attention to all the things that they were going going through and I was trying to be the biggest cheerleader and encourager and trying to stay positive and and just be as supportive as I could and there was one thing I wasn't paying attention to I was paying attention to everything but me I wasn't keeping my own stream very well and here's what happened one evening I was trying to uh, work on something that involved needing my drill I was trying to put on some these brackets and I needed my drill and with my screwdriver on the end of it, you know. I couldn't find my drill. Just couldn't. Still haven't found it. It's, it's there somewhere. I know I saw it moved. I saw it get put on the truck. It's there somewhere in a box. I'll find it. But I couldn't find it. I was so, I got so frustrated. I got more frustrated than I normally would about something like that. So I decided I, I'm going to do this anyway, and I, I just did it the old-fashioned way, the way Daniel Boone used to do it, you know, just with a little nail to make the little guide hole, and then get the screw started, and then get the screwdriver, and then you just, you know. So I was doing that, and not just one or two brackets, I'm talking like several. It was a big job, and the whole time I was doing it, just being my own little brute force, you know, Daniel Boone way of putting in the, the stuff. I was grinding my teeth, and I was saying under my breath, stupid screwdrivers, where's my drill? You know, I mean, that kind of thing. I was doing it. I mean, I was sweating, and I was ill. Oh, I know I was ill. You know, the children would walk through and say, Dad, how are you doing? And I'm like, rah, 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 like that. So there you are. Um, so that's the way I was. And then Tammy and I that evening went out to do something, went out to run and go to a store or something like that. I mean, it's just two of us in the car. And she said, what's wrong with you? And then it ticked me off that she asked me what was wrong with me, even though I knew part of me knew that, that something was bad, wrong. What's wrong with you? And I finally just said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not myself. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. The next morning I got up and had my quiet time. Imagine that. And I was praying about this. I, I, I just, Lord, why am I having to come apart over something silly as can't find my drill? And then it hit me. You know, I, have, I haven't been paying attention to my own soul keeping. I had been so busy paying attention to everybody else that I wasn't stopping and asking this question, Sam, how is it with your soul? By the way, that's the question that was asked in the early Methodist band meeting. How is it with your soul? Some of you came into this worship service on two wheels. You just thought, oh, am I going to get here? Am I going to, you know, I have to get everything, get the kids ready. Oh, is there gas in the car? Yes, there's gas in the car. You know what I mean? That kind of little steely ambulance there. But, um, and then you got here and you're like, Phew. So I want to encourage you just to deep breath. 
and an even more personal question, more challenging question. Will you build into your schedule a time to come apart for rest, for reflection, for soul keeping? Nobody else is going to take care of your strength. Nobody else will. So the disciples and Jesus got on a boat to go away to their deserted place. I imagine that they kind of relaxed a little bit on the way across the lake in the boat. But crowds of people noticed where they were going and literally ran around the lake and met them. By the time they landed on the beach, there was already a crowd of people there waiting on them. I just wonder how the disciples looked at that crowd. The Bible doesn't say. I just wonder if they were thinking, are you kidding me? We were trying to get away from the crowd. Here's the crowd ran around the lake there. Are you kidding me? I do know what Jesus saw. We see in verse 34, and this is the second point. Jesus saw people in need and he had compassion. He saw people, he said, they looked like sheep without a shepherd to me. And just think about what sheep without a shepherd would look like. They would look like lunch to every wolf and coyote in town. They would, they would be wandering off to wherever, following whoever, the, down whatever path. It would be pitiful. Now, flip that around and say, what would a sheep with a shepherd look like? Can you hear the familiar words of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He provides everything that I need. And that's exactly what Jesus did to these people. He had them sit down and he gave them teaching. He gave them guidance. He invested himself in their spiritual well-being. Who are you investing yourself in? Who are you mentoring? Who is it that pops into your mind when I say the word sheep without a shepherd? People that are just... They're clueless. They need some direction in their life. Are you investing? Do you have those eyes to see people that need help? So Jesus ministered to the people's spiritual needs, but he also met their physical needs because in the passage we didn't read, verses 35 through 44, that passage is called feeding of the 5,000. We know what happened. It was getting toward the end of the day. The disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we got all of these people out here. We better send them away into the villages and towns because they're about to get hungry. And Jesus had the nerve to look at them and say, you give them something to eat. And I can imagine the inner freak out that they must have been having. Jesus, have you seen the size of crowd out there? Do you know how much it would? There's always the number counter in the group. Do you know how much it would cost to give everybody a sandwich? And Jesus said, what, what do you have? They scrounged up five loaves and two fishes, Lord. Bring it to me. And they took what they did have and they brought it to Jesus. And all of a sudden, what wasn't enough turned into So I wonder what it is that keeps us from 
seeing with eyes of compassion like Jesus did. Sometimes we get burned out. Sometimes we just say, I don't want to get involved. Sometimes it's too big. There's just too much. There's too much need. There's so little resources. Sometimes we let the fact that we can't do everything keep us from being changed. On the back of your handout, I I gave you one of my favorite little poems. I want to read it to you. It says, you say the little efforts that I make will do no good. They never will prevail to tip the hovering scale where justice hangs in the ballot. I never thought they would. But I am prejudiced beyond debate in favor of my right to choose which side shall feel the stubborn ounces of my weight. Where will you put the stubborn ounces of your weight this week? So we see with eyes of compassion the spiritual and physical needs of those around us, and we take what we have, our gifts, and our resources and our abilities, and we bring them to Jesus, and we let him make them be enough, and then we say, I'm going to invest my stubborn ounces to do for one person what I wish I could do for everyone, knowing it will make a difference. Pray with me again. Will you cover your eyes? Just cover your eyes. Touch your eyes and listen to this prayer. Touch our eyes, Lord. Help us to see what you see. In Jesus' name, amen. We've talked to this point about seeing with the eyes of Jesus, but I want to finish up today by talking about how the people in the land of Gennesaret saw Jesus. In that passage that we read, 53 through 56, the disciples and Jesus land their boat at Gennesaret. Now, you have to know, they weren't trying to go there. They were trying to go to Bethsaida, and they went into a storm. And in that storm, Jesus came walking to them on the water and all that. But they ended up in Gennesaret, and as soon as they landed there, the people recognized Jesus for who he was, and all of a sudden, there was this tremendous move of God. There was no other way to describe it, because the people came to Jesus, and they were bringing people on mats, and they were calling people and helping people. Everybody that had a need was being brought to Jesus They'd meet him on the streets. They'd meet him in the marketplace. They'd meet him wherever they could. And the people all had such faith that they said, if I could just touch the hem of his cloak, then I know I could, if I could just touch the hem of his cloak, I could be made well. Contrast that, that powerful move of God, to what happened in Nazareth verse 5 of chapter 6 where Jesus went to his hometown and he could not do any mighty work of God there because of how they saw him how they saw him isn't that isn't that Mary and Joseph's story you know we had never heard him talk like we haven't never done it this way before who do you think you are trying to do something like that among us Jesus See, the people in Gennesaret saw Jesus as their only hope. 
they saw Jesus as their only hope. And I wonder if you have anything in your life right now that is so big and so overwhelming that you're to the point where you say, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. You're my only hope. I believe if we're not seeing Jesus as our hope, if we're not seeing him like that, if instead we've got this proud attitude of, hey, I'm strong enough to do this myself. I'm smart enough to do this myself. I'm talented enough to do this myself. And Jesus, I might call on you in case of an emergency. You could be like my parachute, okay? If everything's going down in flames, then I'll turn to you. But otherwise, I got it. I'm good to go, Jesus. If that's our attitude, we are just not seeing clearly because the truth of the matter is we need him every hour. He is our hope. He is our hope. I have a friend who is a Lutheran, and she's all the time sending me Martin Luther quotes, which is fine because I get her back. I send her John Wesley quotes, and we're, we're good to go. I love, what, I love the quotes she sends me, too. It's good, but... Right after we moved, she sent me a prayer of Martin Luther's I'd never heard before. I thought it was amazing. It's, it's called Martin Luther's Sacristy Prayer. He kept it in the sacristy of his church, and he looked at it every Sunday. And I want to share it with you. It goes like this, Martin Luther's Sacristy Prayer. Lord God, you have appointed me as pastor in your church, but you see how unsuited I am to meet so great and difficult a task. If I had lacked help, if I had lacked your help, I would have ruined everything long ago. Therefore, I call upon you. I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. I shall teach your people. I myself will learn and ponder diligently upon your word. But listen to this. Use me as your instrument, but do not forsake me. For if ever I should be on my own, I would easily wreck it all. I should be on my own I would easily wreck it all you feel that you relate one last time let's pray to that God will touch our eyes will you join me touch our eyes Lord until we can clearly see that our hope is in you. We have a closing hymn that is really more like a prayer about the very thing that we've been talking about this morning. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. And I want to invite you as we are singing this closing hymn if you wish to come and pray about anything that is on your heart today, the altar is open for you to come and pray, and I or Annie will pray with you, and we will, we, will, we will meet you there if you are led so by the Holy Spirit as we stand and sing.